0: Listener Production. Howdy, you are listening to episode 126 of the Howie Games Part B. Scotty McLaughlin, the next chapter. On we roll to one of the biggest races in world motorsport. Okay, Scotty, so we start the season: uh, Honda at Alabama 14.
1: It's time to go racing in 2021 here at Baba Motorsports Park. <coughs>
0: Firestone against St Petersburg 11s.
1: Green is the call. Who gets green, the jump? Green, Look at Newgarden on the inside. He's getting forceful. Bordeaux
0: then we get to the Genesis three hundred in Texas, which is your fourth IndyCar race, third for this season. Tell me about that.
1: Texas Motor green, Speedway, green, green. the Genesis three hundred. Hello, sees the green first.
2: Well, first off, the first two races, yep. I was both. I was in positions to be back edge of the 10, if not further up, and just things didn't quite weigh well. out. We didn't quite do the best job in strategy and a few things. So always believed I had the pace. I felt really strong in the first outset of the season. So I've had two solid results. And then going into my first overall it was sort of like, I had a feeling I had a really good couple of test days in Texas before we got there. And I was like, oh, I feel pretty decent. It's just a matter of learning everything and learning what the draft's going to feel like, and as it's a huge, hugely different game. Uh, on the ovals, especially at those speeds, um, started fifteenth because qualifying got rained out. Mm-hmm. So I went off championship position. So I started fifteenth, being fifteenth in the championship, which was a bit disappointing because I felt like I could really put it in the first few rows in qualifying. And then um, everything sort of just fell our way. It was just it was one of those things where we pitted at the right times, we had a great strategy, and then we had car speed. So I was making some, you know, a couple of passes here and there. Made some really good time when you know I needed to on the pit cycles. Um, it was probably one of my most complete races, that's for sure, as a driver, especially at this st- the stage of my IndyCar career. So, yeah, finished second. I, was, I remember being in, in, um, you know, in the safety car period behind Dixon, my hero. Like you said, someone that I've watched since I was a little kid and. Sort
1: of thinking, far right, that's pretty cool. Very heady stuff for Scott McLaughlin. Could the rookie produce an amazing upset to beat Dixon and win in his debut performance on an oval? Let's go back to green here in Texas. It's prime time in
2: the US. We're on NBC, which is you know being watched by millions around the country. Um, and I know that there's a it's prime time, meaning it's pretty decent hour for Australia to watch. So half half of Australia is watching kind of thing in, in motorsport world. So it was um it, it was pretty cool just the realization of that far out right, this is going pretty good.
0: <laughs> and to finish second to get your first podium? Yeah. It was that was special.
2: I mean I probably had a little bit there for Dixie to to have a maybe a crack if I was maybe a, a second year or third year veteran <laughs> but not on a rookie. I was like I'm going to take the second place and just I'm just going to back her in a little bit and I mean you're you're a racer so you always want to you know have a go at these guys but uh I did the sensible thing and just made sure I brought home a second place.
1: What a proud moment for him too, because he's impressed with McLaughlin, a fellow Kiwi, and to come home in a one-two. He's got traffic is getting closer, but I don't think it's going to cause an issue. Connor Daly, he'll hang on there. Checkered flag at the ready. Scott Dixon wins back-to-back years and wins at Texas Motor Speedway for a fifth time. Well done, Scott. Great job.
0: So obviously that fills you with tremendous confidence. Is, is there any bonuses or anything for podiums or anything? Is there a little extra cash payment uh, or anything like that? Nah. No. If-
2: oh, well, there's prize money from the, the from the sport, uh, right. but no, yeah, yeah, it's 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 more so paid out to winners. That's for sure.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, mate, Indianapolis, the 500. Tell me about.
2: That's where there's prize money. Right. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So you came eighth the following week and then it's probably the biggest race in the world up there with the Monaco Grand Prix. Tell me about your relationship with this race and your understanding of it and watching it. Growing up. This race is called the greatest spectacle in racing. Another custom that has been carried on since 1956 is for the winners of the Indy 500 to drink milk in victory lane. A number of popular names have participated in these Indy customs throughout the years. These include Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt, Al Unser, Juan Pablo Montoya, and Helio Castroneves.
2: Well, it was always one of those things that was hard to watch growing up. because it's on at 1.30, 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, especially when you go to school and all that sort of stuff. So, always something that I watched or watched the highlights of it, absolutely. I remember vividly when Scott Dixon won in 2008, because um, it was such a big thing for New Zealand and what he was
0: doing.
1: As intense a competitor that has ever climbed to the cockpit at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Fans on their feet saluting Scott Dixon. He is in the short shoot. All kinds of wins in the IndyCar Series. But here he comes, Mike King, your next winner. They call him the Iceman. But today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, he is red hot. And he is the winner of the 92nd Indianapolis 500-mile race. Scott Dixon from New Zealand drives Target. Chip Ganassi racing into victory lane.
2: It's... A, a race that's always been on a bucket list for not only me, but many drivers, you know, Fernando Alonso for Formula One's tried it. You know, there's many other drivers that have done, tried to do the, it's called the, the Triple Crown. Yep. Um, so it's just a bucket list thing. And normally that circuit packs in 400,000 on, on one day, like into the track.
1: 400,000 like, people like, they yeah, have. It's four, that's extraordinary.
2: I know. So the place fits about 250,000 seated. And then on the infield, they normally have like a concert going on that 100,000 people have no idea that there's a race car race going on because wow. they're just having the best time of their life. And then the place is just rimmed on the inside as well. So it's, um, it's a, I've been there before when it's 400,000 and, it's, and that's amazing. But then this year was sort of like about 50%, I think it was. So it was still a decent amount of people. I think it was the world's biggest sporting event since the pandemic started. It was that it was hundred and thirty
0: five thousand so, or something?
2: Yeah, seated, but there was still a couple of people like walking around, and and I think I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't sort of just under two hundred. But um, it was uh, certainly a uh, an amazing. Oh God, it's just the relationship. You, you just you get you get taught the relationship between that you like IndyCar on the track like Indianapolis is the home of IndyCar so majority 75% of the teams are there a lot of the drivers live there the town is just it's like Bathurst on steroids in terms of you know if, if anyone's been to Bathurst 1000 like the town gets around it but this is a city that there's stickers on buildings there's you know your names on street signs there's just like there's it's just built around this one race it's um
0: it's incredible. I'll say this. You you can't say this, but I, mate, I used to hate going to Winton when we do the bad supercars on town. I hate it. Not the town, no, just Winton the race well. oh, <laughs> It's cold and wet and there's always freezing yeah. them. She's a long way from Winton. The Indianapolis yeah. 500 is a long way from Winton, isn't it?
2: Yes. Well, they were meant to race the same time, yeah. obviously, before the COVID outbreak. So, yeah, it, um, yeah, she's a long way from Winton, look lot different.
0: <laughs> and, and how do the fans, like, there's a lot more accessibility in American sport than, say, Formula One where they don't really get that chance. V8s has always been really good at it. What's the reception from the fans? As a, as a, as a Kiwi guy, they're having a cracker. They, they're getting around you at, at a place like Indy? Oh, man,
2: really, uh, uh, they've been better than I thought, um, really wishing me well. and getting. I had some dude yell out when I was, driving, when I was walking by. I don't know whether it was real or not. It's hard to believe, but he's like, McLaughlin, I got twenty thousand on you. Get it done. <laughs>
1: like that's literally, what,
2: and I'm like walking out to go out, you know, to go race the biggest race of my life, and I got some dude yelling at me for twenty thousand dollars on the nose. Um, but uh, it was, um, there. The the people are, are so. I think they look at us more. It's different here in terms of the speeds that we're doing, and for how long this race has been going on for. I feel like it's. They they sort of look at the drivers as somewhat like sort of superheroes. They do, because yes! yes! the way that the speeds that we do, and they have a lot. They're they're in awe of what we can do, and the speeds we do, and how close we are, and stuff. And you know, there's a lot of respect there from the fans. It's there's not too many couch sitters, so I certainly um, have enjoyed that a lot. It's um, you know, they're very passionate, but they're very respectful, and and um, you know, I really, really enjoy that. But there's also <laughs> when you're signing autographs, you've signed the same picture to a dude four or five times, and it's like, yeah, you got this is There's a lot more people selling stuff on eBay <laughs> there too.
0: My, my man my man Mark Wall yeah. so you'll walk down with him across the bridge at the Adelaide Oval and there'll be the same guys lined up every day and he's oh. like he's like Howie this is going to end up on eBay I don't want to have to yep. sign this and he'll say to the boy, oh mate you got one of those yesterday that's enough for you that's enough for you yeah. <laughs> but if you say that and then someone has a f- video
2: on social media yes. or something like that then you look like a, you look
0: like a dick you know yes. so I'm just it's just uh, it's frustrating <laughs> okay anyway. now this is what I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by This mate, so it's a single-seater car. For those that that aren't across it, it's a single-seater car. You came from a a a sedan car like we all drive. You're in a single-seater car. It's an oval, so Mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a a racetrack or a street like we'd have here in Australia. It's an oval. You're in your Indy car. Taught me the process. And the skills required to firstly drive the car and then drive it round an oval, which is something you've you've never done before. What, what are the keys? How do you do it? How do you race around an oval circuit? Uh, so
2: it's a lot to do with the draft and and oval racing in IndyCar. So for instance, so oh, first off, when you get in the car to protect or to look after your neck, you're actually packed in there. So your head is is. Hard against a uh, a cushion on the side of your headrest. So basically, when you turn the corner, your neck doesn't move; it just leans on this on this headrest. So it's basically just a comfort thing for 500 miles. Um, hmm. In terms of the the skill in this, it looks like we're just going round and round and round. But there's this invisible thing called you know wash or turbulence or dirty air. We we normally call it, and it's. Basically, so when there's a um, a car in front of you, you've got to really try. It's very hard to follow um, you know a car closely because you you get it automatically get an understeering feeling and it basically understeers you straight into the wall. Understeer so mate. what? Uh, understeer is when you, you're turning, but there's nothing happening. You okay. just you just sliding the front tires sliding across the road. I, I um, so. It's all about timing and oval racing. So you, you you can get a run in the draft. The draft is amazing, and you can you can be ten or fifteen mile an hour faster than someone and make the pass. But you've got to get that run. And if you get that understeering feeling, you stuff you stuff yourself, and you've got two or three dudes behind you trying to get you back. So mm-hmm. learning your timing, it's like a trade. You've just got to learn. You just got to be bide your time, a lot of patience and just pick pick them off one at a time. So I've really had to learn that and study that. And, and you do that with footage, you do that with simulator time. Um, you know, I've watched, couldn't, couldn't tell you the hundreds of hours of footage I've watched in terms of TV footage, but also just footage of like the race car, like pure raw camera.
0: What are you learning so from
2: that footage? Just where people position their cars. Because if you get an inch or, you know, if you get, 10 centimeters of your wing your front wing on, underneath the car, so if you just find a little bit of clear air that 's the difference between being really close and just getting a run or if you get it right if you get that that ten centimeters too far to the right yep. and you 're right directly behind the car, you just pick up that wash and you 're in the fence Whew. so it's it 's a it 's a very fine line and when you 're doing those speeds at two hundred and forty mile an hour it''s it 's quite tough and for me, the 500 I felt on the weekend—it's not physically draining. It's not hard physically at all. It's mentally draining. I'd like to the point where you know, my eyes were like burning from—you know when you focus on a screen for a long, long time and you just—you man—you just get like sort of sore eyes. You rub yep. your eyes. It was exactly the same feeling. It was just like halfway through the race, <laughs> I'm like far out. Like I'm—I need toothpicks.
0: You know, it was crazy. And. The, the physical process in the car. Now, this is this is not for the audience. This is me as well. Are you are you changing gears? Is there is there clutches? H- how do you get off the start line? Yeah. How does all
2: that work? Yeah, so it's all um yeah it's all hand controlled. So you have got paddles. You got four paddles on your on your um your steering wheel. Um so there's no gear stick, but there's six gears. Um all paddles, like I said. Uh, and then you've got dual clutches, so you basically just got one clutch on either side of the steering wheel, which is a hand clutch, and so you've just got two pedals down the end, sort of like a go-kart, huh. sort of in the pedal box. Um, at the start, it's a rolling start, so our rolling start pace speed is is 100 mile an hour. Um, I don't know that in kilometres. 160 that clicks. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it.
1: As they see the front straight for the very first time, as they come to green is the Indianapolis 500 for everybody to see. Ready right here. Ready, A jumbled ready, ready. start. Scott Dixon gets the field wound up and then first to throttle. Dixon leads two young guns into turn
2: one. So it's pretty fast already. What word, it is. Yeah, so you start first gear. Uh, you sort of build up the car. So you, you ride the brakes. You hold the brake, but you also hold basically 50% 60% throttle and you're just building up the momentum in the car and then once you see green flag you try and get a run on everyone else and it's just a matter of trying to find your way through the start but the biggest thing so I was starting seventeenth on the grid and everyone said you've really got to watch the wash because that's the biggest the the most cars going into one at one time into turn one at one time so the speed you hit there like I think I yeah I was very close to faster than my qualifying speed going into turn one just because of the the run that we get but the, the slipstream so you just you just yeah I don't know if you've been on a bike and you've rid behind a truck and you've yep. automatically, you automatically you 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 get speed that that's exactly what I was like I was it's like I'm behind a massive truck and I just go so fast you've got to be careful you don't sort of spin out at the end of it
0: and you were going I had a look at your onboard camera I think you were four wide at one point yep.
2: guru what were you thinking <laughs> yeah. man Pretty really good run, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding it flat here, and I went around the outside to Kumusado, who's pretty known to be pretty aggressive. So I got four wide, and we got spotters in our ears. So we, they, I've got a spotter at turn one, and I've got a spotter at turn three. So what so do they do? Two spotters. So basically, they tell me if there's a because I can't see that well that they can they tell me if there's a car on my inside or if we're three wide and
0: what a member and, of your team is telling you that.
2: Yep, yep. So mid corner, they'll say inside, inside, outside, inside, inside. Like, I'm basically talking to me. The whole time
1: still there still there still there clear inside inside still there clear
0: head back we
2: got to run on beach she's a bit going on guru yeah well, well the start was a lot going on so i was <laughs> i was flat and the guy goes he goes for my spotter adam goes four wide and I'm like, oh, that's that's hairy for a 500 mile race. I like started with five, and then he went three wide. I said, oh, this is getting better because I'm getting past these these blokes. And then I turned into one, and it was still three wide, three wide. I just backed off and I went back into my line. But those guys, you've got to have a really big relationship with because they're the, they're your eyes in the sky. They're your helicopter. They're your police chopper looking for the criminal. You know, like they're they're the guys telling you you know what's look what's ahead, all that sort of stuff.
1: Get low, get low, get low, get low. Stop it, stop, 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 stop. Through the middle, through the middle, through the middle, through the middle.
0: Right, right. There you go. Good job. And are they just are they just doing it for you or for you all your team your other no, teammates? The, the, every car,
2: every car has a spotter. Every car has two spotters. So wow. there's there's 33 dudes at turn one. 33 dudes at turn three. Um, the reason they have two at Indianapolis normally you only have one. But the reason they have two is because the place is that big huh. that you can't see. You can the spotter can only see front straight and turn one, turn two, and then he loses me. So then that's where the next spotter picks me up, and it's turn three and turn four. He How long's the lap? Forty odd seconds. Okay. So it, it's the two hundred. It's yeah, I don't know what it is, but yeah, forty seconds. But like at two hundred and thirty-five mile an hour, like it's that's a long it's, it's a long lap if you think about it.
0: So your main your main spotter,
2: what what's his or her name? Uh, Adam Fournier is my right. main spotter who's always on my uh, car. But then uh, the the in that we have for the weekend is actually Rick Roniman who's been at Penske for, I think, close to 40 years. So he's seen a lot. He's seen so, a lot.
0: So these guys have other jobs or they're full-time spotters, these blokes? Uh, some of them are full-time.
2: So the NASCAR guys, there's, they, they actually are full-time spotters. That's what they do for a job. Wow. That, that's all they do. It's like a trade in... Now, IndyCar Land, normally a spotter, you can have your own sort of spotter who's just a full-time spotter, but most of the time the spotters actually work in the team back at the shop. You know, Adam, for instance, he does uh, gearboxes and sub-assembly, which is, you know, diffs and all that sort of (laughs) stuff. He builds all those, where Rick is actually retired now. He, um, He just comes in for the 500 and stuff.
0: Mate, it's a fascinating conversation and what I'm yeah. learning is how much you have had to learn in such a short period of time, which is why your mm. results, are, you won't say it because we mentioned earlier on, that they are extraordinary results. Things were going really, really well at India and then in there it, it mm. didn't go your way in a pit stop, which I... I I've read about. I watched. I still don't really understand. You need to explain to me how you were going in the race and then what happened, mate. I, I know it's, it's not yeah. a massive positive. This part, obviously. No, no, no. It's it's part of it. But I, so I was started
2: 17th, like I said. We moved our way up to about. Uh, we were in the back edge of the 10. We we're about ninth um, after a caution and pit stop cycles and whatever. So running pretty good. Got to eighth and. So on the oval, to make us go fast, basically, we don't need the brakes that often. So the brake pedal is traditionally quite average. Like it's very long, um, doesn't really work that well. Uh, but when you need it, you really need it it doesn't work that
0: well. So you're racing no. at 380 clicks, <laughs> and your brakes don't work that well. That, that, doesn't, <laughs> no. that doesn't seem that well thought out to it's me, Scotty. So, yeah,
2: no, it doesn't sound good, but it's true. It's, it's all all about speed, you know. And so, by saying um, it's
0: long, explain what you mean by it's a long brake pedal. Yeah, so it's it's
2: basically there's a lot of air in the system. So the the pads are the you got a brake rotor, and then you've got your pads, and and, and you sort of pull them. You pull them back, like the team starts them a fair way back or they get pulled back by the springs. So you've got to pump the brake to bring the pads closer to the rotor um, so you have a pedal. So when you push the pedal, your is not that long. But if you don't do that enough, your pedal's long because you have to push a lot further with for the pads to get closer to the rotor. It's quite technical, hard yeah. to do on this podcast. But No, you're doing it, a good job. Yeah, but it's the... Um, what I didn't do, I did it in the first and second stop, but I was trying to find a little bit of time into pit lane because I, I lost a bit of time previously because I was a little bit safe on the pushing the, the brake pedal and stuff. So I I I put a little bit of um, pump in the brakes. I did a little bit of that through turn three, a little bit of that turn through turn four, and, and you're meant to pit off turn four. And I went to push the brake pedal, and it went completely to the floor. I didn't push the I didn't pump or prep the brakes enough. Um, and mind you, when you prep the brakes, you know, you're slowing the car down. So yes. you're doing sort of 230, but if you push the brake, it's, it's going to slow it down a considerable amount. And that's two or three, four tenths that you can lose, which is everything in this got race. That. So when I pushed the brake, it was like I was pushing a brick wall. It was just nothing happening. So I was all about pumping the brake and I just about got it got it stopped and wowed up. The, the, the pit speed is actually 60 mile an hour, 100k. And um, I hit uh, I hit this pit speed at 66 mile an hour. So I pitted actually, which is, this is a frustrating part. I pitted with Alio Cachenevis who ended up winning, winning the race. race. So I was right on the same strategy as him within the lead group. So it's, it's one of those what could have been. And we had a fast race car. Um, luckily for us, we had the penalty. I did the drive through. I come in and then we... Then there was a caution straight away. So I didn't lose a lap. I was able to come in and get some fuel. So they put me off strategy a little bit.
1: Here comes Pagino inside McLaughlin. If they were smart with McLaughlin out of fuel. He lets him go by. So Pagino now is in the mix. But it
2: was a bit of a risky strategy. We just needed some yellows towards the end of the race hmm. um, to save some fuel. Anyway, come out and I was battling, I was back with Aliyah Kashinavis and Alex Baloo, the guys that were battling to the end and I ended up uh right on their tails, saving a bit of fuel as much as I could, just hoping for a yellow flag, and nothing no yellow flags came. So there, I think there was two caution periods and it was the f- fewest caution periods ever in the Indy five hundred. And I just happened to race that race. And unfortunately two laps ago I had to put out a fourth, I think it was, and um and come in for some fuel. But if I had a if I had a yellow flag, a lot of ifs and what could have been. Yeah. But if I had a yellow flag, we were right in that fight. It would have been game on again. So, it's just unfortunate. It's it's a place that it's a place that chooses the winner. It's it's you got to be perfect on the day. I wasn't perfect on the day, so I didn't deserve to win that race. Um, but I felt like we did a really good job, sort of picking up and getting on with it after such a crazy day.
1: There's a four-time win on the line for Elio Castro Neves. Look at the crowd. They know history's on the line. Welcome to the four-time club, Elio Castro Neves. That is awesome.
0: Oh, mate, I was screaming at the TV <laughs> for safety cars, yeah. yellow flags, whatever you want I to call have it. would I loved it. i not taken anything. But the leading rookie... Um, yeah. The leading rookie, which is which is something to be very proud of. So you're sitting ninth in the championship. I mm-hmm. was talking to – so there's an Australian that commentates IndyCar, Lee Diffie, who is yep. going to come on the show uh, in a couple of weeks because he's also going to be calling the 100-metre men's final – at the Tokyo Olympics for NBC, like you don't, you don't get any bigger in sports broadcasting. Oh, it's massive. This massive. is a, this is a dude that used to commentate uh, on the V8 Supercars yep. at Bloody Winton. Um, so <laughs> so we'll get Diff on. I've had a couple of chats with him late at night. Um, when uh, he's a man that knows how to enjoy himself of an evening. it Doesn't he? I've looked at these numbers and thought this is amazing. And I was asking Diff about it. He said, "Mate." And I know you won't say this, Scotty, but he said what he has achieved so far, he is turning heads in the paddock. People can't believe the job he's doing. I heard Raymond Grosjean on one of those podcasts you were talking about recently um, at the start of the show in your player profile saying the most impressed he has been is the guy from New Zealand, Scott McLaughlin, how well he's adapted. So that gives people an idea of how externally you are being seen. Sitting ninth in the championship, you know, you hadn't driven a car two years ago. How do you feel about how you're progressing?
2: No, I'm very, traditionally very hard on myself. You are Howie. really, um, really hard. Yeah. So um, the the indie race, really, you know, it, it didn't sit well. I'm pretty disappointed with that, and still sort of getting over that. And I probably won't get over it till I get in the race car on in Detroit next week. Um, but it's one of those deals where, you know, I am feeling – I know that I've got one of the best cars in the paddock. I'm with Penske. I'm one of the best teams. So my yardsticks are my teammates and right now I'm beating 25%, maybe 50% of my teammates, which is sometimes I'm getting, you know, all of them, not all of them. But um, I'm, I'm I'm happy. I'm content. I'm learning. Every time I'm getting in the car, it's, I'm getting better and better. But I've got the hurdle of learning tracks at the same time. Yeah. So. I think for me this year I'd need to be realistic and, and if I can keep being consistent and getting those top ten finishes and if I can finish in the top ten of the championship I'd be stoked. Um but I think I'm I'm I think I'm on par with how I should be going. But obviously I'm a I'm a I wanna win and, and I'm very competitive. Like almost sickly competitive so I, 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 it's frustrating for me not to be right there at the moment but I know I've just got to be patient and take time and, and, and believe in my ability and hopefully get it done
0: As I said right at the start, if you haven't listened to Scott's original chat on episode 78, please check it out Before Scotty was the biggest star in V8 a triple champion no less Scott lost a title many thought was destined to be his What happens then?
2: I oh, just start crying just um, it's just like the hardest moment in my life you know I worked, I worked so hard to get to that point from when I was six years old you know getting sponsorships and stuff and and then I I was in a position a great team to win and I had the big boss there Roger watching me and I felt like I just I felt like a failure I felt like a, well, I was I, you know, I was a loser um, <clears> there <throat> was a lot of lot of um, emotions but um I sort of pulled it in because Dad was always hard on me when I was younger. He's like, "If you're ever going to cry, you go in the trailer and you don't do it with anyone. You don't show your emotion because you know no one likes a sore loser." He was always strict on me like that. So, sort of pulled it all in when I was coming to the pits, but just broke down again when I walked in and basically saw everyone and DJ crying. It was like a grand final defeat for a losing team, you know, in AFL. So yeah, it was um, hard. We won the team's championship, which was a very big thing, but everyone wanted to win the driver's championship as well. And, um, yeah, I've never been... I was so embarrassed.
0: Rock- embarrassed? That's yeah, an unusual was,
2: word. Yeah, I was just like... Especially when I rocked up to the garden dinner the next night, the awards dinner, like our Brownlow The very dinner, next night. The next night, and seeing Jamie with the championship cup and all the highlights literally from the race in Newcastle and literally every highlight, mate. Like There was like four or five highlights, and it was all my stuff.
0: ups. That was of course Scotty in his original episode back on number 78 Let's continue with the next chapter Mate when you google IndyCar Which I've been doing a bit of over the last 48 hours The first 7, 8, 9, 10 things you see are enormous crashes
1: Both in the 231s The first driver to put any lap in the 231s so Forward tunnel! Oh what a crash What a terrible crash That was a hard hit. He's fine. Wow, that just shows you what happens when these cars come unglued to the track.
0: I don't mean uh, crashes, I'm talking enormous crashes. You're talking about the draft and um, the, the oversteer and going into the wall. Mm. Guys getting caught up in that netting style situation.
1: Oh! You got New it! Oh, that's blind uphill, a big accident right there. Call it harder. Hunter Ray, Dalton Kellett, Max Chilton, right Rosenquist, Hinchcliffe. Huge yeah, right. moment. I got loose in dirty air. New Garden said he got loose up over the hill it's completely blind over the hill lost it in the grass and as everybody else came over the hill it's it's driving into a surprise cars all over the track you can't see a thing if you're a trailing car coming over that blind rise
0: i think in the history of the sport over how many you know 100 years has been uh, near on 100 deaths hasn't been one for for a few years now with wilson this is such a cliched question for racing car drivers but the chance of something going terribly wrong is a lot yeah. higher in the category you're racing now than in the V8 Supercar category. Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about it? Have you talked to Emma about it? Do you push it to the back of your mind? Do you not think about it? Do you not even want to answer the question?
2: No, no, no it's fine. Uh, no, I. I mean, it's hard not to think about it. You see the crashes and stuff, and you're like, all right, like we. That's when you realise how fast you're going. Yeah. So when someone has a crash at Indy, especially, like over the month, there was a big crash when we tested there in April. And
1: Renus VK for Ed Carpenter Racing in this Sonax Chevrolet will be special again. Oh, boy, big spin in oh. turn one, huge hit in the short shoot. Oh, that was scary. And um,
2: Renus VK is a young, young bloke, and he went out and it was like the first four or five laps and he shunted and broke his finger and it was pretty big. Um, and I was like, fire out, like this, that, that, not my socks off a little bit because I was coming in off, you know, second at Texas and I was feeling pretty confident with myself. And so, yeah, that knocked me down a few pegs. Um, you know the risks. You know, I, for me, I know the risks. I know, you know, what I'm doing is, is uh, there's a risk, but it's not, it's, it's not going to stop me from doing what I love. I think the moment I worry about that is when I've got to stop doing it. Um, My my wife Carly's and my mum and dad are very apprehensive. My mum and dad have always been a bit apprehensive about open wheelers um, as a a whole. So it's been hard for mum and dad, especially when they're not here. And as you know, probably as a parent that they just, they feel more secure if they were here, you know? So watching that on TV and, Buff head here doing doing going four wide into turn one yeah. on a five hundred mile race, you know, yeah. makes him a bit nervous. But it's yeah, it's just the but that's the thrill of it all too, Howie. You know, like we're kind of sick in the head a little bit, you know. Mm. We 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 thrive that thrill, we thrive that adrenaline that gets us going. And I don't think any race car in the world, race car driver in the world doesn't have that fear of the worst happening. But that's what makes it so exciting for us and so unique to any other sport. Um, but, yeah, look, there's there's risks, but, um, you know, you've just got to make sure you don't put yourself in some positions. And if it is, unfortunately, if, it, if it, it does touch wood, if it does, like, you know, something bad happens which is out of your control, you can't do much about it. You know, you, you just got to – I love my job. I love my life. I love everything about it. It's just, you know, it is part of it.
0: As you know, mate, I'm a, a massive Formula One fan and, you, you, yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of tension between the Formula One drivers in a way. that Drive to Survive is an outstanding show. I'm sure you've watched it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, On Netflix. I, I haven't quite got my head around the relationship in American motorsport between the drivers because... In some ways, you see the clip oh, on the news, the old to um, play of the day where blokes have an incident and then they just punch on in the pit lane, which is always yeah. interesting. But yeah. so there's that side of it. But it seems. I'll ask you, it seems a greater fraternity than we see in Formula One. When when blokes aren't punching on, it seems a very tight group. So how have you gone, is that the case and how have you gone into this group? You know, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson, who you're going to tee up to come on the Howie Games, which I'm very appreciative of, in Roman Grosjean, you're racing against him, the other Aussie boys, Scotty Dixon. How are you finding the personalities and, and fitting into this travelling circus? Um,
2: it's, uh, it, I've really enjoyed it. I think, the camaraderie is there because like we just talked about, we know the risks and you've got to really trust the person next to you. You know, when you're going side by side at 240 mile an hour, you've got to, you've got to trust that. All right, this guy is either loose or he, but he's going to give me some room or, and I think there's not that you don't want to piss anyone off, but it's sort of like everyone has their respect levels of what they've done. And I think there's also, we talked about it the other day, you know, a lot of people in the IndyCar field, They've been through their struggles, you know. You, and like you look at Grosjean, you look at, um, you know, struggles in terms of getting a drive and yes. getting a solid drive, you know. And, and I think everyone's very grateful to be in the position they are, especially with IndyCar right now, where it's on the, on the way up. For you know, they had seven million people watching the race in America on the weekend. Seven million. Yeah, that that what? was their average audience or something like that. It was crazy, but. You know, we're all in a fortunate position that we've got to drive when on when in a series that's on its way up. And you know, I don't know. I just, I it's just a it's it's a great chemistry. You know, sure you don't get you don't really know a lot of people, not all of them, but most of the people are like you know, g'day mate, how you going? Or you know, it's very competitive. And they'll square up with you if, you if something goes wrong. I've already seen a couple of times, like, dudes, you know, after the race have sort of gone up to each other and sort of little push-shove, all that sort of stuff. But that's <laughs> just, that's America, right? Like, they just love, you know, getting into each other's faces.
1: Look at this. He goes up to Bourdais after the session, grabs Bourday by the chin strap. Bordet's trying to get rid of him and... Then Kevin Diamond, the PR rep, steps in. Bourdais says, I haven't had enough yet. Goes around behind Kevin and says, you want to continue this? Let's go. And then team members stepped in. But for me, there's
2: no jealousy. And that's what Australia had, yeah. I felt. I felt there was, a lot of, there was a lot of, yeah, it's that tall poppy syndrome, but it's like a lot of jealousy of where people are. People, you know... Sure, everyone wants to be Scott Dixon. Everyone wants to be six time champion and whatever. But there's that respect level. where It's like, well, man, he's he's he puts himself in those positions, and that's what gets him the titles. Where I I just uh, V8s rubbed me a lot wrong way. and It's been well documented, but it's I'll, I'll never have probably the same relationship. You know, even you know to the point where you, you don't feel that same support, even when I'm over here from anyone. And I, I think it's—I used to get along with a lot of people, but it's just unfortunately that's just—I think that's just the culture and that and that paddock, unfortunately. And we're here; it's a bit more, you know, I don't know—they just seem a lot, lot re- realistic, a lot more respectful. You know, it is what it is. Someone's got to be the winner on the day, and if it's the same bloke all the time, well, I've just got to get better. That's how they look at it. It's not. There's no complaints. There's no whatever. It's just get on with it, and that's something that they lack. Back in the old category,
0: that's for sure. Well, that's that's what we talked about right at the start, about what you love about America and what yeah. I love about America, that they they want you to be a winner. People want you to succeed. So if some if some good old boy gets in your grill, Scotty and starts a bit of push and shove. Have you got anything in that department or are you going to I'll have to scurry it off?
2: Mate, I haven't been in a fight in my life, so I'll probably just get all my boys around me and make sure I'm in a smart position. But no, no. Look, I'll just try and make sure I'm not in that position. <laughs> and I should be all right.
0: <laughs> hey, um, the final question of the show, which you know always finishes with, what advice you would give kids that are trying to achieve some success and I'm only just thinking about this now, you've already answered that question. What advice would you give not just kids but anyone who has been in a situation with you like you that is very successful and could have stayed comfortable and has decided to become uncomfortable?
2: I don't think it has to be a sportsman. I don't think it has to be a sportswoman. It could be anyone in any kind of role. You could be a CEO of a company for 10 years and, decide you want to do a, you know, something else and business-wise and business land. Um, I think you've got to be happy. You've got to do something for you. You can't do something for someone else. I mean, um, uh, my mum and dad would have loved me to stay in Australia for as long as possible because I'm a three hour flight from them and, and it's, you know, they could watch me a lot easier and it's not on at different times in the morning and whatever, but I wasn't happy doing that, and and I and I have to thank them because they're the ones that told me that I should. I've got to go. I've got to make make it happen. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you've got to make yourself happy first. You, you, like if you're not happy, if you're just doing it just to roll, you know, roll the the, the payroll in and get the get the bills and and move on. It's, you're not going to be happy, you're going to end up in a hole and unfortunately we see that with a lot of people in a lot of different ways and, and I think that's why mental health is such an issue these days um, because people live such a false life on social media and, and yeah, which is sad. So I, I've always just run, if I'm if I'm happy with where I am in life, whether that's who I'm married to, what sort of dog I've got, you know where i'm where i'm living uh, what car i have you know that could be all off track stuff but then including you know my 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 professional life that's i only need to please myself that is it I, and i think my biggest advice is make sure you're happy with yourself before you try and please everyone
0: else it's a great answer i uh, you reminded me when you mentioned a car i was rocking around in the old Holden Crewman, had it for 13 years, till my beautiful wife said, if you don't get rid of that car, I might get rid of you. And the first thing I did was I rang my man, Scotty McLaughlin, I said, righto, who do I speak to? And you put me onto a bloke, and then the boys at Rex Gorel via you gave me a nice discount on the Ranger, the big rig, the kids call it. So I'm officially thanking you for that car, Scotty. It does a very nice job, Good. so thank you for that.
2: Well, I'm just glad that you said you paid for it, yes, Howie, because... Yes. Because there's certain people, uh, i.e. Tim Hodges and Jack Revolt, <laughs> that I do the podcast with that think that I'm just going to get them a free car. No. Boys, get, you, get your wallets out. How we did the right thing. I got them a little discount. That's a right. A little discount, but yeah. Buddy tight asses those two.
0: <laughs> Spot on, mate. Um, and to hear from Tim and Jack, it's Balls and Bumpers, your podcast, yeah?
2: It is, Yep. Yep, and old all po- old podcast forms.
0: And before I let you go, I would be remiss of me not to say my man from New Zealand, who dominated Australia, has now gone to America, who says he's a low key New Zealander, even though he doesn't <laughs> keep an eye on the cricket score and he's not going down this American path. He has bought out his own range of merchandise, which I. Yep. I, I tell me about the merch, Guru. Tell oh, me mate. about the merch.
2: Oh, I appreciate the plug, Howie, but look, it's. We've just we did it like a little bit of a a, a limited edition. Right. We're going to bring out, bring out our own. I uh, just wanted to see how many people wanted it, and, and it went very well, which was fantastic. So we're going to do a bit more in the future, but uh, keep an eye out. But, uh, yeah, the SM3 collection is going to get bigger and bigger.
0: Uh, I, I hate to say this, but the Howie Games are currently going through a merchandise deal ourselves. So I'm nice. going to... I want a SM93, and I'm going to send you a nice little Howie Games wind cheater over there that maybe uh, you good. can wear around the paddock.
2: Let's do a swap. (laughs) We
0: will. Hey, mate, I mentioned at the start and it sounded a bit silly how um, proud I am of what you've done. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I, I just seeing and chatting with you a couple of years ago and seeing the desire you had to go and do something different and the opportunity provided due to your own hard work, the fact you've taken it and are running with it and doing so well. I think so many people here in Australia and New Zealand are just so stoked with what you're doing, mate. And we get up and we watch the racing and <laughs> we listen to Lee Diffie and you can just tell he's calling your name and he's loving that. And it's just you mentioned whether the support from back here. There's so many people who're invested in what you're doing, mate, and cheering for you. And a lot of them they can't get in contact with you, like I can send you a text, but it's just it's bloody fantastic that you've taken a massive punt, mate, and it's going your way. And it's I've loved the chat and I just love everything about what you're doing and what it represents and what it can show people that you don't have to settle even when you're doing well, you can continue to push forward. I think it's bloody inspiring, mate. I appreciate it, Howie. It's been, like I said,
2: it's been nerve-wracking at times. It's been happy, sad, all all the above. But, uh, you know, knowing, you know, that you're making a lot of people proud and actually, you know, being a great role model for a lot of people, you know, back home in New Zealand and Australia that shows that, you know, anything can happen if you want to be an NFL player or you want to be an AFL player if you want to be a baseball player whatever you want to be like you can do it it's just a matter of uh, hard work and the belief in yourself if you have that you know you're halfway there so it's um yeah I appreciate that
0: so do I just Ring Jimmy Johnson direct, or how are we going to roll that one? No,
2: no, no. I got you. Maybe maybe what would be good if you'd send me like a little selfie video or something like that. Just, okay. And then I can go, hey, this bloke, and I'll just text him and say, hey, this bloke really wants to get you on the podcast. I'll right. so, sort right. something
0: out like that. Hey, mate, stay safe. We'll yeah. um, be watching your next race and uh, yeah, the, the next chapter. I think it's the way forward on this podcast, mate. You're a star. Thanks for having us. Next, chapter,
2: next chapter, you no know, worries. Next chapter is like we won Indy 500 or something. We'll get, Done. get me back on. Then you'll
1: be a three to- <laughs> A (laughs) three-timer, a
2: three-timer. Exactly. Stay safe. Cheers. Cheers,
0: man. That's it for Scotty McLaughlin, the next chapter. What a dude Scotty is. If you're not already on board his bandwagon, tune in to what he's doing in the USA. It is in IndyCar. That's the category. He's driving a sort of blue and white style car for Penske. Keep an eye out for Scotty. He is a star and he is now, hopefully, at some stage, going to become the show's first three-time guest when he wins Indianapolis. That would be epic. Two episodes in a week. are fair to say Darcy's been under the pump, but he keeps firing. Thanks to the great man. Thanks for giving our new concept the next chapter a go. Hit me up at How 3 on socials about who you would like to hear on an updated episode. Until tomorrow, geez, they come around fast, with Dylan Olcott, peace and love.
1: And we can do it.